Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. And today we're going to be discussing... Some questions from listeners, as this is one of the episodes in our Finders series. Stick with us. So it's here's not heresy. It's come no, on. No, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now. Uh, this is, I, I, I was not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but. And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers, that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. So, every now and then we like to take questions, and while there is much demand for certain topics that we um, actually find either very little interest in or just not enough time to prepare for. There are other questions that actually get us excited to answer. We, we will, uh, because we intend to live a long time and to continue recording this, even if we get down to two subscribers, because, hey, it's fun. Um, we will get around to everything, but there's a there's a lot of weeks in a year, and we, we, we want to punt some things, and we want get, to get to things sooner rather than later. So, I mean... It, it, in, it encourages you to be long-time listeners and, and viewers. So If it gets down to two subscribers, that's you and me. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, but, um, but all yeah. right. Uh, we, got, we, got, we got years of this, so there's some topics that we're going to, we, we, you know. So we do a couple of series in addition to just the regular episodes where we just get on here and talk about something. And one of those is the Wyma series, where we listen to why someone, we either listen to where someone explains why I'm a atheist or whatever, and then we respond, or we say why we're a whatever, why I'm mm-hmm. a Christian apologist or whatever. And so we've done one of those recently, uh, why I'm an A-time theorist, and you can go back and listen to that one. But we also do another series, and that's the Finders series, because mm-hmm. we believe that while you may not be able to yet be a Christian apologist in the sense that you can go out and give answers, we believe that you can go out and find answers for people. And in that sense, you can be an evangelistic apologist even today. If you've never heard of Christian apologists And before. one way you can find answers is to watch radio. Did you forget the name of the show? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, where thing, are we again? Normally, what we do is we, with the finders, there's been like two or three episodes before. And normally, what we do is we take questions about the Bible, about God, about reality, and we answer those. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we may do some of that today if we have time. But the question that we want to answer today is more of a practical one as it comes to ministry and explaining difficult things. It's more of a how to than a what is sort of a question. I can't wait till we have like three cameras to where we can like switch and then show you from an angle and me from an angle. And then this, cause all they get is this one thing. So patrons really, if you would like some visual, um, Diversity. variety, okay. um, click up here, uh, yeah. um, somewhere, become a patron to help our current patrons be able to, <clears throat> or if you're listening by audio, yeah. um, patreon.com slash Trinity radio. Yes. We, we get love cool our free patrons. stuff. Yeah. We love our patrons. We give them stuff. We give them all kinds of bonuses, and we're so thankful for every dollar. And yes, you can even give a dollar. And there may be people that don't know, but like we do cool things. Like in one of the things that we gave just to our patrons, me and Dr. Pritchett argued about the nature of tongues in the yeah. New Testament. Another thing that recently happened was a debate from last year that Dr. Leighton Flowers and Jonathan Pritchett uh, teamed up for with two Calvinists 
they did a Mystery Science Theater 3000 sort of thing where they watched the debate with popcorn and soda and uh, <laughs> made their little snarky comments all the way through the debate. Yeah. And so, uh, and not just picking on our opponents, we picked on, you know, we picked on us too. But see, you you would get that stuff if you gave uh, something like five dollars a month or something. Plus, it's prime month. unhinged, you know. Yeah, it's like prime unedited, right? <laughs> Unrated. Okay, um, but so. Uh, what was I going to say about this? So today, what we have is, number one, a question from Anthony Spartacus Giles. And what Great he, guy. Yeah, and I've lost it here. Uh, well, while he's looking for the question, I, I would like to point out that these have become our official Trinity Radio uniforms. Yeah. Because this, this is the third week in a row. That's right. Can we go ahead and tell them why? Because we're, we've recorded these, this one and two previous ones in the same day. Same day, and the reason for that is because I am currently, as you're watching this, in Turkey. Or on your way back. One of the, I, can't, I hope I that I'll know. be on my way back, yeah. but I think we're actually still coming up a week shy. So, no. Um, oh, no, you're going to be... Really? Well, there's this week, yeah. and then there's the three weeks I'm gone. So this is going to come out. I think we're still going to miss a week. No, but anyway, if um, you give me the if you give me the YouTube login stuff, I will have something okay and upload a video that I'll record. Okay, from okay, my, from my okay, desk. but that won't help the audio listeners. But audio listeners that week just watch the YouTube video if we yeah, do that. Yeah, okay. I have to decide whether I want to give him the keys to the YouTube Corvette that we have. <laughs> um, but but yeah, we'll do we'll try to do that. So but anyway, so I'm currently in Turkey. Hopefully, I'll have a guest. I'll hopefully, see. head still on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are filming a documentary about the early apostolic uh, goings on in Turkey. So the mm-hmm. seven churches, and then uh, we're going to look at some of Paul's churches, and then just the history there. And what we're going to do is we're going to go around to all these sites. Not we, him. Well, there'll be a we. You just won't be one I, of the we. Right. And I never the, get invited it, to the cool it, stuff. It's me and a tall, older British man. Uh, with a British accent, who well, they think? Well, of, if he's British, well, the idea will be he doesn't have a sense of humor, and I do. I'm the American with the, with the sense of humor, and so and uh, so we're, we'll play off of each other. It'll be kind of like an Anthony Bourdain type thing, and there'll be uh, a version of it made for churches, and there'll be a version of it made that is more of like if you had the if you had a like if Christians did a thing on Jesus, mm-hmm. it would include all the spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. But if there was like a historical Jesus thing, it would be more aimed at the History Channel crowd. And we're going to do two like that on this subject. Ah, so you're going to do one that's godless and one that's godless. I'm going to do one where we're trying to sneak up on this godless crowd because in the credits it will have stuff about all our ministries and things. But anyway, um, so that's what I'm doing. Pretty cool, huh? And I think so. I'm going to be stuck here working, (laughs) you know? So, but that brings us back around to today and Anthony Spartacus Giles' question, which is, how important is it for people who seemed to have a higher desire to study theology and such, to bring that knowledge to a layman level. What are practical ways oh, to do Oh, we this? answered that in the last show. Talk about science fiction and fantasy and comic books. That is one way to do it. Yeah. Because if you didn't see that episode, those stories, those myths, those things that the fictional science fiction or fantasy yeah. movies create for us serve as great analogies. Yeah. Now, look, no, no, if you wanted to get into this... I, Braxton Hunter and I are both actually experts at starting groups to discuss this stuff. You started one with a handful of people, and it ballooned into this uh, a group so large that when I guest spoke there, we actually had enough people that some of them fell asleep when I talked. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. True story. Yeah. Is that true? Someone fell asleep? Hey, someone fell asleep and died when Paul preached. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm in good company here. But no deaths happened. But, I mean, there was a lot of people... Um, and you, when you get a, enough people, you're well, talking kinds. about a subject that yeah. if somebody's going to fall asleep. That's the one, the ages of people in the book of Genesis and how yeah. they seem to be exaggerated. It's awesome. I don't think they're exaggerated, but some people think they are. It's like an awesome subject. Richard doesn't believe the Bible. But anyway, um, I'm trying to give, I, I'm actually shocked that offended you as much as it seemed to just then. You said he doesn't believe the Bible. I believe every and the, I believe every word of the Bible. Okay, to the, quote you Teddy. not believing the Bible is as true as Leighton Flowers doesn't believe in Jesus, Jesus or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, all right. So let's get into it. So, what? What? How do you? How should we approach this subject? 
I can go off because well, I, I do this regularly. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I can go off too because I've I've done this regularly and I've always done it in churches. Um, we kind of talked about this about starting an apologetics group, so I don't want to rehash what we said there. But I do want to say that Anthony, you're in luck. I know him personally in luck, and I don't want to leave out all of our unmarried friends. But when you have a spouse, it is it is so much easier to to get a group going. How do you go about doing it, and what do you teach, and all this kind of stuff? So having a spouse who can help you right there gives you. Uh, a support system and, a, and and but this is not a question about how to start a small group. No, I know, but we did that a few episodes. Yeah, back. I know, but I'm saying you're already. How do you get going? Number one, uh, like with my wife, your wife, we've talked about how they are theologically interested, but not at the uber level that we are. And so, what you need to do is you need to find out what your wife is interested in first, not what you're interested in. Or if you're wanting to get, a, you know, when when you want to teach a group of people, what do you get going? Where do you start? You start with where they are and what they're interested in, because nothing bores them to death than listening to a theology geek talk about what they're passionate about, and then you have the expectation that they should like what you like, and they don't, and then you bring all kinds of uh, self-inflicted frustration upon yourself by having... Why don't you guys just think that talking about why people live certain ages and genesis are so awesome, right? Mm-hmm. And yet people fall asleep on you. Now, I think it's awesome to look at the different theories that all of which are okay within biblical people who believe the Bible. Allegedly. <laughs> okay. So, no, really. I think that's an interesting subject. I always think that, right, so I'm a biblical studies guy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I like apologetics. And people think, well, biblical studies over here, and then you have systematic theology over here, and the two just bump heads. You've heard me say it in previous programs. I think that's bogus. I think it is... Very good to start with, uh, you know, to get people in a small group to start thinking about Christianity is to think about systematic theology. Because one thing that systematic theology can do uh, is not only give you the essentials of the faith of what propositions you should affirm, but you can go through the whole Bible systematically and look at various texts. And yes, we know that they all have to be built on sound exegesis. You can't just rip something out of context, which systematic theologians have been guilty of doing to build their doctrines, yes. But all of that aside, you know, just covering the essentials, you can get a good reading of various texts on a particular topic, especially one of the major doctrines, by starting with systematic theology. And it, it gets them to think theologically about what they're reading uh, when they come to the Bible, because as important as exegesis is, we are still Christians who believe that this Bi- Bible is a life-changing uh, book that tells us about the nature of reality and the nature of God and the nature of man and the nature of salvation, the nature of sin, the nature of um, last things, the nature of sanctification, what is just all of those big ticket items you get in systematic theology. So uh, I, I happen to sing the praises of systematic theology. I love talking to systematic theologians like Malcolm Yarnell, Adam Harwood, uh, Leighton Flowers, and, and, and others who think theologically, because I don't always think that way. Well, so I think it's a good, good, you, you, good way to start. We've talked about this a little bit before, but if if the Bible is true yes. and authoritative and reliable, yeah. then and, and then there, the, the, there should be... If you if you keep all of the genre and all of the idioms and all of the all that stuff that's important to hermeneutics and all that mm-hmm. in mind, and you do it right, there should be a perfect systematic yeah. that fits all those things. Right. I'm glad to hear you say that. That's right, because I think in the past you've had some question when I say that, but I think that it had to do with I don't I don't know that anyone has it except right. Jesus. Right. But that's different than saying, does it exist? Right. I think it exists. Yeah, and I actually agree with you. Okay. I think it does exist in the mind of God. Yeah. But now the real question is, okay, but, but if part you're, of the if fun you're, is looking, wrestling. Yeah, it's because, the journey, right? Yeah. But the question is, okay, so for people like us who are into mm-hmm. all that, who mm-hmm. really get excited, at, right? Oh, I'm going to go to a small group tonight. And you know what we're going to talk about? Wait for it. The ages in Genesis and how mm-hmm. long they are. So-and-so lived 500 years. Can you believe... What does that mean? You know, most people would be like, yeah, okay, right. (laughs) But for those of us who really do get excited about that stuff, how do you... 
explain that to people in a, and I don't, I don't think the question is how do you make them excited about it? Although that's an important feature of good communication. Yeah, the way you do that but is hold on, you but be, I, hold yeah. on. I don't think that's so much the thing is, but it's that because they're not all excited about it the way that we are, mm-hmm. they haven't read all the books already, so they don't have all the categories in their head. Right. So how do you explain it to them so that they get it? Okay, well, first all, let's deal with the how do you get them excited? You get them excited by being excited about it, and you get them excited by being awesome like me. So if you're awesome like me, people just will gravitate towards listening to you, Mm -hmm. right? So the first step is to be awesome, and if you're not awesome, you can become awesome by watching more Trinity Radio and picking up (laughs) manner. No, I'm just kidding. All right, Uh, no, but but no, but seriously though, first of all, you need to be excited about it. Seriously, you do need to be excited about what you're talking about. Yeah, that's infectious. Yeah, and and that will. But how do you decimate it? Well. Uh, the trick for me has always been, you know, not to think that you need to come down to somebody's level, right? Because what what does that even mean to come down to somebody's level? You're not actually on a higher level than than than, than anyone else. What you do is you want to talk to people at their level, and just remember, you. It's like when I was growing up, uh, in 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 a conservative Baptist type setting, right? Even people who use their NIVs, when it came to prayer, they thought that they needed to pray in the King James. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, because that's it, true. Because it sounded more uh, reverent yeah. or whatever. The first thing you need to do is, while you need to have reverence for God, you don't necessarily have to have a specific type of solemn reverence for discussing and teaching things, right? Because that's going to put a wall up in communicating. Yeah, you wouldn't people. talk yeah. in King James language to everyday people. Right. Like Joe Lee doesn't come up to me and say, Father, I have become I have grown quite thirsty. Will you please give me six pence of a dollar that I might go to the local apothecary and purchase for myself a dairy refreshment. So I may uh, moisten my parched and slaken throat. Yes. You don't say that. Well, she Dad, might. can I have a dollar so I can go to the <laughs> right. ice cream store? Right. <laughs> Uh, though I could see Jolie do that <laughs> just might, to get yeah. under your yeah. skin, <laughs> just to, but yeah, uh, just just talk to people. Just when you talk about this stuff, just talk about it like you would talk about anything. That that's where you start, I think. Um, at least for me, that would be my advice. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think analogies and illustrations are good. I think being excited mm. is good. Um, I think humor helps, but if it's not you, don't do it. Um, I, but I th- like, let me, let me give you an example. Let's put something out there okay. that, that I think will help. Now, um, you're the biblical studies guy. I'm the apologetics guy. I'm going to use an apologetics principle okay. or, an, or a, an argument. Okay. So for those of you that are familiar with the Kalam cosmological argument, um, and, and I've never heard anybody else explain it this way, but I think it works. So, you know, the argument goes, um, everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe must have a cause for its existence. And some people like to say, ha ha, that one of the best arguments for God's existence doesn't even have God in the argument. Yeah, well, okay, if you think that's a relevant objection, then you need to hit the books. But because what we do with that is once we show that the universe had a cause, we get to reason what that cause is. And so one of the things that we do here is we say, okay, what is the universe made of? The universe mm-hmm. is made of time, space, and matter. So whatever. The, so since things can't bring themselves, and this is what I'm going to illustrate, because things can't bring themselves into existence, then whatever the cause of the universe, time, space, and matter, is, is not in time, but timeless, not occupying space, but spaceless, and not made of matter. It's not material, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That standard, and those of you that listen to apologetics, you're used to all that language. But I have found that in explaining this argument to lay people, where they get hung up, a lot of times where they get hung up is, well, why are you saying that the cause of the physical universe, time, space, and matter, can't be something material? Mm -hmm. Why are you saying that? And what we're trying to explain to them is, well, look, because if you find something material, that's part of what we're trying to explain, because that's what I mean when we say the physical universe. So one way that I've done this, I've said, look, let, let me, let's just look at an analogy here, <clears throat> and I'll say this. How many of you like the movie Toy Story? Raise your hands, okay? And uh, they'll raise their hands, and I'll say, all right, for how many of you 
uh, Woody the Cowboy is your favorite character. You know, raise your hands. And they'll raise their hands. Like, How many of you, Buzz Lightyear is your favorite character? And they'll raise their hands. And then I'll usually say something like, how many of you, those little aliens that go, the claw, those are your favorite characters? And usually somebody trying to be funny will raise their hands and I'll be like, okay, well, that could indicate a serious psychological problem. But anyway, what you do then is you say, all right, well, I like Toy Story 2. So, I mean, not part two, but I like it too. Although I, I like it as frankly, well. Frankly, it's the weaker of the three. But anyway. Um, I like Toy Story <laughs> as well. Yeah. But what you say is, yeah, I like those movies. So here's, so here's the thing. What if I said to you, that the cause of those movies coming into existence is Buzz Lightyear. And I don't mean it in some metaphorical way, like somebody had the idea of Buzz Lightyear. No, no, no. No. What if I said the character Buzz Lightyear is the cause of those movies coming into existence? It's foolish. Why is it foolish? Because we know that he's a character in the digital universe of the Toy Story movies. You can't, he can't, he's part of what we're trying to explain. Right. So what we, we know that outside of that digital universe, you had uh, voice actors, musicians, filmmakers, directors, all that animator, yeah, all that stuff. Um, But you can't use something in the film to explain the film itself. And just like Woody and Buzz and the aliens and all that are in the film and can't cause it, time, space, and matter are the things that that we're trying to explain. They're the film that we're trying to explain. And so we know that something not like those or in those categories is what caused the universe to come into existence. I found that to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. I've never heard anybody else use it. I have a little short video that is out there. I think it's actually the video you see when you go to the YouTube channel that just starts playing. But, um, but that's a good example of taking a really abstract concept yeah. and putting it in terms that they kind of, oh, okay, oh, I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned another one on the last episode about... Um, well, it's not really. Well, that's more philosophical. It's not apologetics or yeah, but theology. okay, but all right. What if like the preachers out there that struggle with sermon illustrations? Because mm-hmm. that's what you're saying. Use that's essentially what you're saying. Use illustrations using analogies. That's part of it, yeah, I think. Yeah, so. what if you're no good at that? Well, you, if if you're a preacher and you're not good at illustrations, stop preaching. No, and, <laughs> and well, you, I think you need to. I mean. Preaching classes I've been a part of, they emphasized illustrations. Mm-hmm. You know what kind of preaching classes do not emphasize illustrations? The Bad kind ones. that produce boring preachers <laughs> uh, that, that nobody understands and that the preacher himself doesn't understand what he's saying. So it's good to use illustrations. Yeah. Jesus used illustrations. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be a better preacher than Jesus. So for the preachers out there, let's see how many different ways I'm called a heretic for this. But William Lane Craig, in his Sunday school class where he goes through systematic theology, mm-hmm. talks about the hypostatic union, mm-hmm. and he likens it to the film Avatar and how, um, you know, if you've seen the film, have you seen Avatar? Mm-hmm. You've seen the film, you know that you have these bodies that are, that are real alien bodies, you know, the big blue mm-hmm. guys or whatever, and presumably would, would, you know, could walk and talk and do all those things. But... The person, the human being, is able to put his consciousness and his nature uh, into this avatar. Mm -hmm. And so you have two natures in one physical body. Person. In one person, yeah. And so you have have the alien one and then him. And uh, he likened that. He used that as an example to the hypostatic union. Someone recently told me that they loved William Lane Craig, but they thought that was horrible or whatever. Understand that it is very easy when you're talking about the nature of Christ, the nature of God, or the, the Trinity itself. It, you can you can sound heretical really easily, you know. Yeah. So, but but those are some examples. Yeah. Very good. So here we are, 22 minutes in, and we've answered that. Time uh, for the next one. The answer to that really is be excited, as Doctor Pritchett says. Be awesome. Look for examples to use. Jesus certainly did, and. Um, Constantly think about how hear people hear what you're saying. This will help you yeah. in your marriage too, so that fights don't happen as often. Yeah, and I think starting with systematic theology is is a good place to start in a small group to teach people the a big picture. Another way you could do it is redemptive historical. Hit the key moments in God's program of redemption from Genesis to Revelation is another good way to do it. Um, if you're if you're starting a group and, and you can translate, people can relate to narrative really easily. So that might be another way to do it. I will say in the Genesis narrative. series, in the Genesis series, because there's a lot of narrative. Um, yeah. I didn't get 
five lectures in before I realized I had talked about the nature of God, the nature of Christ, Satan, uh, free will versus determinism, uh, the nature of sin, you know, all the major doctrines of the Bible, including uh, angels and all, all this stuff, very early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it does come up and, and in then the you're Bible. Like, and, yeah, and then you're also like, oh, there's also a story here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? so. so, yeah. Um, all right, so that's that. Uh, now let's get to what Dr. Pritchett really wants to talk about. Really um, to talk about. Well, you actually commented on this question that you really wanted to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Tim says, I always hear my Calvinist friends say... Now, is this the Tim that lives here in Evansville? Yes. Okay. Did work on my house. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to call him this week to put some doors up in my new condo. Ah. I always hear my Calvinist friends say, what can a dead man do? Oh, here we... I can see Miguel rolling his eyes right now. I, I don't make the questions. I just answer them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... and then Have the, we talked about Calvinism in season nine? No. Nope. Other than some no. pot shots? No. No. Oh, good. And so it was your choice... And like this is what the Calvinists would say. So I guess it's your choice. You got saved. I mean, yeah, kind of, partly, but uh, no. <laughs> give me something. Give me something, please. He says. Uh, he will say you can't reason yourself into grace. And then Jonathan Pritchett comments, Braxton, I like these questions from Tim very much. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let's let's take the, the the first one. Do you save yourself? Is it your choice to be Satan? Uh, yes and no. No, it's God's choice to save those who believe. It's let's not confuse salvation and everything that salvation entails. Yeah, it's right? a lot of things. It's a lot of things. It's a big word with many moving parts. Yeah. Okay, hmm. let's not confuse that with conversion, and let's not use what are the means of conversion by which you're a part of this particular group. Pause. I'm glad you're happy because <laughs> we're talking about this. Yes. <laughs> okay, uh, which is faith. So yeah. believing allegiance mm-hmm. to King Jesus, and that's right? you, you tr- trusting, putting your right. trust in Jesus. Right, you decide to do that. Right, you decide to do that. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do. That doesn't save you. But did you offer yourself this whole engine that we're discussing called salvation? Right. Nobody no. believes that believing in Jesus saves you any more than when Peter says baptism, which now saves you. Right. Right. I mean, what what we're saying is, if you do this, you will be among the saved ones. Mm-hmm. Right, so if you believe in Jesus, you are among those who are going to be saved because everyone who is saved are those who believe in Jesus. What does salvation entail? It entails your predestination to adoption, to be presented holy and blameless in Christ. It's to be sanctified. All the stuff justified, right? And yes, Paul does put sanctified, justified in that order elsewhere. So, for all you ordo salutis. Uh, the fool's errand to finding an ordo salutis in scriptures. Eh, stop it. Uh, that's the that's where systematic theology goes. Yeah, a yeah. Over the rails. Okay, um, you know, the, the, being named or designated a child of God. Mm-hmm. You know, being glorified in a new body uh, in the new heavens. But Doctor Pritchett, salvation is faith all is of a those gift. Things. Don't you know that faith is a gift? Yeah. In what sense is faith a gift? It's called. Teeing someone up, and I'm not even. Yes, and what's I actually believe that faith. I don't. Yes, I don't necessarily because the whole operation is a gift. Right Um, now, we can get into you know matching gender in Ephesians. Doesn't matter if you understand the context. I believe that what is your salvation by grace through faith Mm -hmm. is not of yourselves. Now, there's an interesting discussion if we want to do a whole episode on Ephesians. We 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 could because it's interesting. Whose faith is being discussed by grace? You are saved through faith. It doesn't necessarily have to mean the faith of the person, the subjective faith of, of of a person believing in Jesus. It could be the faithfulness of God. I mean, there's a, there is actually scholarly disagreement about who whose faith. Well, there's is being... scholarly disagreement about that. There's scholarly disagreement about the whole gender matching up that you're yeah, talking about. Right. There's scholarly disagreement about whether it's just the faith that's being discussed or the whole operation. This whole thing, and this is why, when whenever we had a little discussion with Tyler Vela and Sean Cole, Leighton Flowers and I, one of the things that we were talking about um, with uh, Acts thirteen forty eight is mm-hmm. that there are actually I can think of at least four answers in addition to Calvinism. So there's five answers I can think of right. to this question. So why would I jump to the worst of all answers to this question? In my opinion, the right. one that that. You know that like there's there's four better answers oh, before well, you have the reason why they jump to that is because of theological bias. 
and well, poor exegesis. But but, the, but the, beside the point, mm-hmm. just sorry. No, go um, for it. I but, mean, but it, the, it's been a while. It's, yeah. So the, know, flex the thing your muscles is, a little the, bit. The, 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 I believe that faith is a gift in this sense, not because of the basis of the text of Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8 is clearly, by grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is God's gift. What is God's gift? That you're saved by grace, grace through, through faith. faith. That, but what do I mean by faith is a gift? It's a gift of God that loyalty to him, loyalty to Jesus, is the means by which God saves as opposed to works, mm-hmm. which is another, it's an, it, kind of a labor term, an economic term. You know, Paul goes into this in Romans with the wages of sin and, and, and you know, things like that. You've got, you've got different types of socioeconomic arrangements in the ancient world. You have slavery, you have employment or works, and you have uh, grace relationships, which are encapsulated by patron-client reciprocity. And that it is that, that sort of, that sort of giving your divine patron the due honor he has afforded for having done all, lavished you with all of these blessings, that, that is, that is the arrangement for uh, eschatological deliverance, not performing a whole bunch of duty. Because the duties, as Paul goes on to explain in that same little section there, the duties are what you do in gratitude that God has prepared these these works beforehand so that we can go do them. Yeah, but you know, there's a bit of a paradox with the whole uh, first century patron-client reciprocity insofar as, and this is this... <laughs> This is a little bit difficult to understand, but once you understand it, Christianity just sings with it, you know, right. the, the understanding, which is when the when the client or the, yeah, no, when the patron graces you with something right. that you need, that you couldn't get on your own, you couldn't work enough to get this. Right. And, and he that, gives it to that, you. That right there is the I'm coming key. to it. I'm okay. coming to it. You couldn't work enough to, to earn or get this, but he gives it to you. You are expected to go out and praise his name and do a bunch of things that he wants done. Right. But you're not doing it to earn the thing that he graced you with. Right. You already got that. You already got that, and you're not doing it to earn it. However, if if he did that for you, you have broken the code if you don't do it, right. and you brought shame upon yourself. It doesn't mean you didn't get the grace thing that you got and, and it's given to you as though there's no expectation, but you sure better go out and do it. And isn't that exactly what most evangelicals think about Christianity who are not believing in works-based salvation? And a lot of the people that are accused of teaching a works-based salvation don't mean it yeah, the way and it's one of, and the thing is, But that's exactly what it right. means. It means he graced you with this. Now you go out and praise his name and do everything that he wants you to do, not to earn it, but if you don't do that, it having been given to you, you bring shame upon yourself. Right, and you don't just get the initial grace of salvation. You get all of the things that you need from the Holy Spirit to be able to do all of those things as part of your gratitude response for having been given this gift. Now, we would say that the atonement, that we believe in general atonement, not not particular atonement or limited atonement. We, so the atonement is an act of, if you want to think of first century terms, we could say that the atonement is a benefaction that's a public uh, an act of public patronage. It's for like, everybody. Like a patron in the ancient world building a highway into a town. Or, yeah, or hosting a feast or putting on Something the Something that everyone right. can benefit from, right. provided that they partake. Yeah, if you go. <laughs> yeah, right. right. See, when, when you when you right. start discussing the Bible in its ancient first century terms... Uh, instead of, instead of 16th from 1500s, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it, it's stuff... Yeah. It, it, I love my Calvinist brothers. Your stuff doesn't even register on the radar. The closest they can get is, oh, well, the Essenes talked about fatalism, but we, we don't mean fatalism, but that's, that's all you got. I mean, come on. Get... Sorry. Um, but really, um, yeah, uh, so that's an act of public benefaction. It's public patronage. So if anybody's lost track, because yeah. I know we have some new listeners, and Tim is one of those new listeners, yeah. the point that's being made is first century people thought differently about a great many things. In the modern Western world, we think we tend to think individualistically. 
Mm-hmm. We think about me and what I'm doing and my rights and my, mm-hmm. you know, all those kind of things. Whereas in the first century Mediterranean world, they thought in terms of honor and shame for your corporate group, the group that you yeah. come out of, your clan, your tribe, whatever. And if yeah. and it all stems ultimately back to the family unit. Yeah. It, and your your own self understanding and esteem is bound in bundled up dyadically with what other people esteem of you. Mm-hmm. There's no introspective self-esteem type thing. It is how others, uh, what is your value to the group mm-hmm. and how others perceive you is your, even Jesus, who, who is it that you say I am, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so ancient people just not like modern people. But what, what God did is he provided a, 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 a po- act of public patronage to everybody. See, we think of the theological offices of Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. But he's also the benefactor. He is the benefit, and he is the broker. Mm-hmm. Those are his. We would we would call them his sociocultural offices mm-hmm. of Jesus. Um, he he is the one who provided the salvation. He's part of the triune God. He is the one who offered himself. He is he is himself. He gave himself to be a ransom. Right. He himself is the gift, and also he himself is the broker. There is one uh, God and one. Mediator between God and man, and that's the God man, Jesus. He is the broker. Uh, mediator is another just a way broker. of saying broker. Yeah. So, so you have this, but not everyone participates in this heralded right. gospel, this good news. And so, when you but they could when they could, uh, the, God commands everyone to repent. Mm-hmm. But if you act like some of the people in Athens, for example, uh, some believed, some wanted to hear more, others just wouldn't have it. Right, what you are doing is you are dishonoring your the the, the one sole creator of the cosmos is the ultimate patron. Once you have a monotheistic de- deity, mm-hmm. everything else is but and gone. so so what, and if you dishonor that God, that that creator, one creator God, who despite your ingratefulness towards creation, towards breathing oxygen, towards beating heart, you still he, he wants to save you, and then you he gives something as priceless as his own son, and then you still refuse to honor him. Shame, 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 shame. on you. Shame. Yeah. yeah. And so, for real. Right. And that's why you see in Paul's letter, in Pauline literature, all this emphasis on Shame. I'm not ashamed of Christ. Right. Because in the other corporate groups, whether that be the Jewish leadership of the day yeah. or the Gentiles, that was to bring shame right. to worship this Jesus who was crucified on a cross. The, the, you know, that, that's all dripping with shame and shame on right. you for going and being a part of this Christian group. Yeah. He says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed yeah. of the Lord Jesus. God's Christ. choice was to have a universal people of, of the Jew gospel. and Gentile of the gospel who are loyal to the to his so son, and you Jesus. see this everywhere. That is not saving you. That is who God saves. And and you see it everywhere. Once you understand these, categories. though Peter did say, "Save yourself." So we'll when, have to throw when him you, in when the you, bucket. But. When you when you see these categories, you start seeing it all over the Bible. For example, yeah. you may have heard that. Whereas, and I hate it when non-Calvinists say, "Well, you know, we don't believe in election." Yes, we do. Yes. It's biblical. It's just not what we don't think it is. What Reformed people think it is. So, for example, in Ephesians. Remembering the honor-shame corporate, you're thinking about your corporate group and what corporate group are you going to be a part of. Um, we see corporate language all the way through, plural language, you, in, and, and, how, and how, what body, what corporate group are you in? In Christ, in the beloved, yeah. in Jesus, all meaning in Jesus. And if you're in that group, you get all of these things. You're, you're not chosen to be in that group. You're chosen in Christ. Right. So if you're in the group, the body of Christ, you get those things. The group is what's chosen. Yeah. You see it everywhere, and so we have what we call corporate election. Yeah. Now, uh, this I'll, is a big claim, yeah. but if you don't think so, that's fine. We can disagree and talk about it in the Scripture, but if the way you talk about the Bible is something that originated in with the Reformation and categories and terms that originated with the Reformation, you may be talking about something that may even have an internal consistency somewhere in it. I don't think implicitly, but but explicitly. It may not have any contradictions. But just know, you're anachronistically putting that onto a text from hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, and they didn't think in those categories, and God was communicating to them in what in the terminology they understood. Right, and so that's why it's important to remind people that sometimes conversations aren't worth having. So when we believe in general atonement, somebody will say, so you believe that some of Jesus' blood was wasted because not everyone's saved. That's not even, that doesn't, that's not a question. That, 
What does that have to do with the price of teeth child? Nothing to do with the New Testament. Right. That's, that's a dumb thing to bring. Another thing that, that, that comes up is this save yourself business, which except Peter said save yourself, you know, which is fine. It's okay. He's not a Pelagian. He's the Apostle Peter. Get over it. He said save yourself because he's not ate up like modern pedantic uh, evangelicals. So you, what you have is these weird things that people want to bring up that have questions and concerns. You also that have are, cleanse yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that's Paul. Yeah, Paul says. Yeah. So you have all these concerns and arguments and, and ways of thinking about this that have no purchase with the understanding this stuff on its ancient terms. So, do, so like I said in my debate, do I believe that God picks who he wants to save and who he wants to damn? Absolutely. He wants to save believers, he wants to damn unbelievers. Do I believe in salvation entirely by grace? Absolutely. Do you know what grace is? I know what grace is. I know what Paul meant by grace. What do you think Paul meant by grace? If you're not talking about what we understand Paul to be talking about, this stuff's taken for granted in, in most New, New Testament studies now. The theologians need to get with the program. But, I mean, it's just like... Uh, you're you're not talking about anything that that matters. Well, let's get now to this the... drop of did, did Jesus waste a drop of blood? Did, does Jesus not to get to pick his bride? All of these types of um, all these types of arguments that we hear from the other side uh, that I think a lot of Arminians and traditional whatever they they get wrapped up in having those kinds of conversations and trying to deflect those charges when you're like. That has nothing to do with anything. So who cares? It's not a you're you're inventing this problem. The Bible doesn't see this as a problem. Or does God fail if if His desire is for everyone to be saved, but not everyone is saved? Did God fail when He sent Jesus? Going no, th that misunderstands patronage. A, a patron does not fail by giving grace. You fail if you, if you fail don't to show it, gratitude. You're ashamed. Yeah, and 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 there will be social consequences, and 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 in, in, in terms, I've of, never understood that one anyway. Because if in I terms was of do, the Bible, I, there's there's eternal consequences. But if I was going to answer, like you're saying, you can you you can circumvent the whole question by saying that you, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. But even if I was going to answer that and take it on its face of it, I've never understood that God was successful in what He intended to do, which was to offer it. That's what he intended to do. Did he do that? Success! He did do that. Yeah, and Leighton yeah. and I talk about this all the time, how Calvinists say, did God intend to make salvation possible, or did he really save? The answer is yes, because it's not a, that's a false dichotomy. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and. Yeah. So, so now let's go on to the second part of Tim's question, which okay. was, what can a dead man do? Well, according to Ephesians 1, he can walk. Well, yeah, let's think about the they things that Calvinists right. agree that dead men are able to do. By the way, here's my uh, regular caveat. Season for this season, which is Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, has Calvinist and non-Calvinist professors, Calvinist mm -hmm. and non-Calvinist um, in administration, Calvinist and non-Calvinist uh, students. We have mostly Calvinist books. And guess what? We have right now a special we will give uh, on on a tuition grant for. The next 150 Calvinists that want to come and get in our faces as students and say, Professor, I disagree. Yeah. So 150 Calvinists out there come to Trinity College and of the Bible like, Theological Seminary. I, I thought you would disagree. You're a Calvinist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but and we love you anyway. Let's list off the things that, that Calvinists believe that dead men are able to do. Uh, spiritually dead men. Dead men can walk. Dead men can talk. Dead men can uh, do good things. Dead men can do moral things. Dead men can do... It really seems like dead men on Calvinism are able to do uh, everything that can be done except for the one and only thing that the Bible commands that they do, yeah. and that's to repent. So when you come with that, what can a dead man do? The, the thinking is, see, he's dead. And what do they always point to? Like Lazarus. Yeah. Dead like Lazarus. Could Lazarus have gotten himself up and walked out? No, Jesus had to say, Lazarus, come forth. That, but the thing about it is, no, it's not like that, really. No, and, and, That's and, conflation. And the, Bible, the Bible proves it's not like that. Yeah. I, I went over this in my debate with Mr. I believe every word in the Bible. Well, no, you don't, because you keep using terms and words in the way that the Bible never does. What is the dead? Dead is used metaphorically in Ephesians 2. It's mm -hmm. used in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, right? Mm -hmm. But it goes all the way back. James talks about the separation of body from spirit is dead, right? Uh, in the garden... Right, separated from the tree of life is dying. You should well, and even, die. And, and even like uh, when uh, Abraham and Sarah's mm. reproductive organs are referred to as dead. Right, and all through that Ephesians too, dead? without leaving the text, it is so obvious. You were once cut off. You were once far away, uh, not part of the commonwealth of Israel. 
you know, but you have been brought near, made alive. All of these things, read Ephesians 2 with just thinking dead metaphorically as separation, and it's, Ephesians 2 is consistent from start to finish, right? Um, same thing with the prodigal son. My son was away, now he's back. He was uh, dead, now he's alive, right? Mm-hmm. The metaphorical death all through, and some people, they, see, instead of talking about spiritual death versus physical death, why don't we talk about biblical categories of physical death and metaphorical death? What is metaphorical de- What is the metaphor for death? It's separation from Genesis to James to Ephesians to, uh, plus Paul says, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Are mm-hmm. you does dead to sin mean you are utterly incapable of sinning if you're alive to God in Christ? Right. Well, unless you're unless you believe in Wesleyan perfectionism or or, or what is it the entire sanctification or whatever yeah. mm-hmm. uh, perfectionism uh, no, above sin. you're going to sin even though you're dead to it. Just like you can <laughs> repent and change your mind even though you are dead in your sin. But just right? think about what's being said. See, we said. interpret the Bible consistently. And I, look, I You're didn't, able to do... I didn't have to leave the passage to prove what the yeah. metaphor means. Just in Ephesians 2, forget well, Genesis, even, forget, forget well, everything else. Even like, uh, state, yeah. state in the text. I didn't have to go outside of the text to go find some definition for the metaphor. Dead means like a corpse. Where does it ever say that in the text? Where, what other text do you have that metaphorical death in the ancient world meant... Mm-hmm. Dead like a corpse, unable to ha- engage in some religious. Conversion. I find new ones where Nowhere. I find new ones where dead doesn't mean yeah. dead all the time. For example, yeah. in my Genesis study, I came upon Abimelech. You know, when Sarah is taken and all that whole thing. Mm. And once he figures out what's going on, he's like, "I am a dead man because of this." Yeah. Does that mean that he was dead when he spoke those words? No, it means I'm condemned, yes. which is another thing we could say about spiritual death, whatever that means. You're condemned. Right. You're separated from God. Guess what? People that are separated from God if you want to are learn condemned about the Bible, to death. If you want to learn about the Bible on the Bible's own terms, come to a seminary like Trinity. We're, we're not anti-Calvinist. We're not, you'll read all that stuff. You'll read more of that than you will the opposite. Right. We're not anti... You will, you'll read Reformed authors, And you'll too. have Reformed professors. Yeah. But the thing is, at Trinity, we're going to make you take deal seriously with the ancient world of the Bible, mm-hmm. not with the 16th century world or even the 17th century world. World or the 21st century, we're going to make you go back. And we want to know what learn, Paul meant, not right. necessarily what Calvin thought Paul meant, right? Or whoever, or, or Arminius for that matter, right? Or whomever. But Calvinism is only tangentially related to this because what I'm saying is I'm just talking about what these things mean in the ancient world. How that that does have repercussions, I think, for 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 Reformed theology and, and some of the things, which is why a lot of New Testament scholars who are considered Calvinists are denounced by Calvinists, like N.T. Wright and others, who, if you ask them, yeah, I'm a good five-point Calvinist. You know, I'm Reformed. Um, but they're going to like, they, they don't, huh? I don't believe him. Well, I mean, he, he, he doesn't say that stuff now, but he did say yeah. it 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just saying, if you deal seriously with ancient Middle Near Eastern studies... But if you, you want a you good know, way to yeah. enter the conversation, Tim, with this person, I recommend... Asking them, okay, you're saying that a dead man can't do anything. Well, according to the Bible, a dead man can do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. A dead man can do even good things, just not saving things. He can do moral things. He can walk. He can talk. He can reason. He can he can do all kinds of things. In fact, it seems that he can do everything except <laughs> the one and only thing the Bible tells him he he must do. <laughs> yeah, here's how you know you're using a metaphor, okay? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's settle down with your theology. Yeah, ease up with and, that saw yeah. that you're sawing on right. the branch you're sitting on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's, okay, let's take a deep breath because this is why I always encourage you, evangelical piety can, and, and platitude is just sanctimonious blather. Do not pay attention to somebody who's just thinking that they're trying to be holy, and if you don't affirm their theology, then they get... And traditionalists, uh, especially on Dr. Leighton Flower's Facebook group, are the same way towards Calvinists. You know, oh, you believe God is the devil, and how dare you insult my God, and blah, well, just, blah. But here's the thing. Evangelicals, you got If somebody's... And Calvinists, if a traditionalist or a Arminians talking to you like that, blow past the the blather. It's just theological platitudes well, we have a guy, that doesn't help. We have a guy Just who, have the conversation without our, trying to one, be sanctimonious. One That's of our listeners approached us this yeah. week, and I won't mention his name, but he said, 
I'm having a hard time because um, he used to be a Calvinist and he came out and he said, I'm just like a cage stage non-Calvinist now. He's like, I want to so badly, like when people say what they believe about this sort of thing, I just, I, it, it bothers me so much. I just want to react and I'm afraid I react too aggressively. And how do you approach this? And you basically told him, just tell him that all those, all that theology that these Calvinists, just tell them that they're out of step with where it is now, and that mm-hmm. this is cute that they think that. Yeah. And, and, okay, that's not the Braxton Hunter answer. That's the John the Preach answer. <laughs> it's cute the that Bra- you're a Calvinist, but come on. The, I mean, real scholarship is having these interesting conversations, and you're stuck in 16th century gibber But the, It's but, cute. I mean, this is if you want to go to Southern and do fun little Calvinist theology, but if you want to do biblical scholarship because you care about the Bible, you go, I'm... Of course, I'm being facetious. And when you tell it in the future, add a reference to construction paper and glue or something to make it sound. But but here's <laughs> of the course thing: I'm, be, I'm being facetious. <laughs> I love Calvinists. Believe okay, me, I okay, love you guys. Stop. That's not you. It doesn't even sound right coming out of your mouth. Okay, so so here. I here, hate Calvinists. The They're bra- awful people. <laughs> okay, see, I do the caveats. He doesn't mean that. We love Calvinists. Most of our friends. Okay, now listen. Stop. We're, we're about no. We're about to run out of battery power, but we're going to wrap this up. So what I want to say to you real quick is. Um, that I think the answer to that question is just be a nice person. And if someone is being kind of a jerk, just don't engage with that person. But otherwise, just say, say, hey, look, I'm not saying that you worship the devil, but I'm saying that... (laughs) No, no, don't don't say that. But honestly, do say this. Say something like, look, I'm not saying that that Calvinism teaches that God is the source of all evil. Right, mm-hmm. but I but I do I do see an implication yeah. here that I, I don't know how you get around, yeah. and just be nice and talk to him about it because I want to tell you something. Layton Flowers puts up things all the time saying uh, from from people who were Calvinists who are not Calvinists now, and they always say it was because he was nice when he spoke about it. Yeah. And if you're a Calvinist, you be nice, and maybe you'll have more more good when fortune. When I talk to a Calvinist, I, we always agree with my Calvinist friends that there's a million more interesting things to talk about than one particular But what I like to say besides, oh, it's cute that you believe that little stuff. I mean, that's cute. You know, it's, in addition to that, you can, you know, uh, you can be nice. I mean, that I, I agree that you can be, be a good person and all that. But you can also just look at him and say, look, I mean, I, I understand that you believe this Calvin stuff, but haven't you ever read Romans 9 or John 6 or Ephesians 1? I mean, how do you read those things and, and be like, yeah, Calvinism. Really? Romans 9? Calvinism? That's like the worst text for a Calvinist, right? I mean, I yeah. can't believe that you would... It's not a narrowing of salvation. It's a broadening yeah. of salvation. It's like, how, how do you read John 6 and think Calvinism? I mean, really? But, Maybe you haven't read it all the way yeah, through. Let's yeah, no, start. don't be, a, don't yeah, don't be a jerk like me, really. Uh, but there are other things. There's so many other things you can talk about with your Calvinist friends. That Check you don't out Soteriology 101 with Leighton yeah. Flowers for more on this. Check out more of Trinity Radio for apologetics and theology. Check out the Bible Brodown for good exegesis and some systematic theology. Check out the Narrow Path for all of the above, including a verse by verse of the entirety of God's Word. And uh, we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. Yep. You guys take care, and thank you for letting us have a Calvinist episode to get a bunch of attention. If you would like more content, click here, and keep watching Bible Studies, click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.